Please join me as we pray. Father, as we think now about your word and about the sacraments, would you help us to learn and to grow and to be inspired by what you have given to us, that it might impact our lives and that we might become more like Jesus. And it's his his name that we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? So we do a lot of things in a traditional liturgical church. We have a lot of traditions, practices. One of those is that during the season of Lent, which we are coming up on, we're in Epiphany now, we're moving towards Lent, is that we do not use the word hallelujah throughout the entire season. By not using it and then getting to Easter and proclaiming it, it adds a certain value to it. Well, I got ordained to the priesthood right before the season of Lent back in 2009. And so the very first time I ever celebrated the Eucharist as a priest, it was during the season of Lent. And I remember being very nervous about this. It was a very large church. Um, Services averaged 500 people. Giant sanctuary. Um, the, The altar was way up on this pedestal, so you're just way up there as the center of attention. And I remember just practicing the Eucharistic prayer. Like, I wanted to get this right. I didn't want to mess things up. Um, Mostly because I wanted to honor God, but partly because I didn't want to look like a fool. So I practiced the Eucharistic prayer. Now, when you get to the very end of the prayer, one of the last things that the priest does is hold up the host, fracture it, and say, Alleluia, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Here's what I did. I fractured the host, and I went, hallelujah, Christ, and I just stopped. <laughs> I made it all the way through, and I got to this point, and I'm just like, uh, uh, is sacrificed for us. Um, and everybody went, therefore, let us keep the feast. And they stopped, <laughs> because the congregation got it, even if the priest did not. <laughs> got to be careful with those priests. They don't always get things. But it's a special moment. It's one of our sacraments, the Eucharist. And today, as we continue talking about the three streams of Anglicanism, last week it was Scripture, this week it is sacraments. And what I want to do is very similar to last week. It's kind of a sermon-slash-teaching I want to answer the questions, what is the nature of the sacraments, and what is their purpose? What is their nature? What is their purpose? So as we think about the sacraments, we're going to start this morning by looking at the actual word sacrament just briefly, the origin of this term. Um, Like so many terms that we have, it comes out of Latin. Sacramentum is the word that it comes from. And that word originally meant two parties 
when they had to make a deposit because of some agreement, and if one of them were to break the agreement, they would lose their deposit, or if one were to win something, the other might lose the deposit. The one who lost the deposit, it would be given to holy purposes. It was sacramentum. It also came to mean storing the deposits in a holy place, a sacramentum. Like most words that develop over time and evolve, it became known as a solemn oath, which you can kind of see the connection. Here's this deposit meaning I'm going to fulfill what I said I would. It became known as a solemn oath, a sacramentum. But in all cases, the term had this idea behind it, according to many scholars. Sacredness. Set apart. That's where we get sacrament. Something that is sacred. Something that is set apart. Now, when we go into the 39 Articles of Religion, which I talked about briefly last week, that is the closest thing to Anglicans having a doctrinal statement. It comes out of the Reformation, and it defines for us what Anglican beliefs are. And in the 39 Articles, when we go to Article 25, it is called Of Sacraments. Here's what it says. Sacraments ordained of Christ be not only badges or tokens of men's profession. Let me break that down. It starts by saying, when we consider the sacraments... They are a badge or a token of our profession. Okay? So let me show you what that means. Who knows what this is? Yes, it is a piece of cheese, but it is so much more than that. And if I turn it over, you'll see the space for the head. This is a cheese head. Now, after last night, you might not want to wear this, but this is a badge or a token that you are a Green Bay Packer fan. It identifies you as somebody who believes in that team. And I feel your pain. See, this is mine. Here's my Dallas Cowboy hat. (sighs) Yeah, you at least made it to this week. (laughs) But both of us are now out. (laughs) But those are badges or tokens. They identify you with a team. The sacraments identify us or show us to be part of those who profess Christ. However, and this is a big part of what the article is saying, they are not only that. In non-liturgical churches, oftentimes what we call sacraments are called ordinances. And they are only symbols that say I'm obeying Christ because he told me to do this and I'm showing you that I'm a Christian. We would say as Anglicans, that's true. Those things do do that, but not only that. So here's how the article continues. Rather, they be certain sure witnesses and effectual signs of grace and God's goodwill toward us, by which he doth work invisibly in us 
and doth not only quicken, but also strengthen and confirm our faith in him. Let me break that down. When we are baptized, when we come and receive communion, we are professing we believe in Christ and identify with him and his church. However, there is also something happening that God is doing. That's what this article is saying. God is working and showing those who participate in the sacraments, number one, you are in his favor. You could not do this otherwise. He has goodwill toward you. And by the work of grace and the Spirit in our lives as we receive the sacraments, he is, it gives three things, it's working invisibly to quicken, that is to stimulate or bring to life our faith, to strengthen, that is to make it stronger, to build it up, and to confirm or to affirm, to ratify, to say yes, your belief in me is real. Your trust, I see it. So that when we are participating in the sacraments, God is working in us to say, you are loved, you are valued. I'm going to increase your faith. I'm going to strengthen where you are. I'm going to work invisibly in your life. That is what the sacraments are supposed to be. All of us know that symbols can be very strong. They can be very powerful. Symbols are things that are more than the material they are made of. Not all the time. I mean, for instance, this morning, as I stopped at a stoplight, the oncoming traffic, one person stopped. There was nobody on the road but the two of us. And then that person decided, eh, it's just a red light. It's a symbol only, and went right through it. Because sometimes symbols don't mean that much. However, one of the most popular things on the internet are cats. Cat videos. People love cat videos. It cracks them up. Just going and looking at cat videos. But I would ask you, go home today, find a really cute kitten, and print that picture out. And then I'd like you to tape that picture to the wall and take out a dart, and I want you to throw it at that kitten. Exactly. None of you want to do that. Why not? It's just a picture. It's not an actual cat. Because we know that symbols and representations have real meaning. More than the material they're made out of. And we know this in our lives because how many rituals and traditions and symbols and things do we all participate in all the time? Right? Our sacraments are not just the material they are made out of. When people in faith participate in the sacraments, they become more than that material. They become a means by which God works. So in the church I was at previous to this, we had a lot of people who they were not raised in Anglican or liturgical settings. Their experience of communion quite often was once a quarter or so, the church during announcements would do communion. 
and it was a, Christ told us to do this, we're remembering him, you'd pass this kind of thing that had little tiny things of grape juice in it, and that was the extent of what their experience was. Then they would come here. They would come to an Anglican service, where at the very center of what we do is the altar, and they would hear the prayer, and they would see everybody coming up, and there's this sense of reverence and humility as they come forward, and then they would hear the priest say, the body of Christ given for you, set in their hands. And I cannot tell you the number of people I watched weep during those moments. They were meeting with Christ because we meet with Christ in our sacraments. They're more than symbols, even though they are that too, but they are more than symbols. Now, as we continue to think about them, the 39 Articles also says this, and I think it's important for us to understand this distinction. Okay? And you can now kind of lump this a little bit more into the teaching category. There are two sacraments ordained of Christ our Lord in the gospel. That is to say, baptism and the supper of the Lord. Those five commonly called sacraments, that, are to, that is to say, confirmation, penance, orders, matrimony, and extreme unction are not to be counted for sacraments of the gospel. Why? Why do we only have two? So remember, when this is written, it's coming out of the Reformation. The Catholic Church at that point was at its most corrupt. It would have its own counter-Reformation because it even knew there were practices going on in the church that were corrupt. But when the Reformation happens and they look back at what the seven sacraments are, they say, of those seven, only two of them were actually said by Christ, you need to do this and everyone needs to do this. Not everyone needs to get married. Not everyone needs to be ordained. Those are not sacraments that are general for everybody in the church to participate in. They are specific. They are special. I mean, so I said, you know, I told you the story of the first time I ever celebrated. There are two things that stand out for me when I got ordained. Two moments that are so vivid in my mind when I got ordained into the Anglican tradition. One of them, I spent about 15 minutes with my face on a stone floor as they prayed. And there was something so um, earthy and tangible and mundane and yet reverent and holy about laying there on your face with your arms out and feeling the, cones, the cold stone on your cheek and hearing the words being prayed over you. Like, I, I will never forget that moment. The other moment I will never forget, and it truly says something about, again, how earthy and tangible the sacraments are meant to be. So before the service begins, you gather with those who are sponsoring you. And in this particular case, three people were being ordained. And so we were all lined up and we had our little group with us because it's that group that then says we present whoever this is for ordination. One of the people in my group was my three-year-old daughter. 
And she was standing behind me as we were waiting. And I'm standing there, and we're all standing there, and I'm in the front, and they're all behind me, and she's right behind me. And she tugs on my alb, the same thing I'm wearing right now. She tugs on it. And, and she sticks her head around me, and I look down, and she goes, Daddy, I like your dress. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, look at it. I mean, it's, you know. I will never forget that moment, this little bonding moment with my daughter, a little bit of humility and laughing, because as serious as the priesthood is, you don't want to ever become so serious that you forget who you are. You forget that Christ said, I came to serve, not to be served. I came to give my life, not for you all to give your life for me. And when you step into ordination, you are saying, I came to serve you guys. I didn't come to get up on a pedestal for everyone to look up to me. I'm supposed to be pointing all of you to Christ, not to me. And those moments, and as important as ordination and all of these things are, they are not what we consider sacraments. They are not those things that Christ ordained that all members of the church should practice. Baptism, the Lord's table, those are our sacraments. The prayer book in the catechism calls the others sacramental rites um, to differentiate, to try to say they're elevated and they're really important, but they're not the same. And then one last thing that it says about the sacraments, and I think this is important for us to consider. The sacraments are not ordained of Christ to be gazed upon or to be carried about, but that we should duly use them. The sacraments are meant to be used. They are not things that we were supposed to just like stare at or we were supposed to lift up as if they were magical things. They aren't meant to be put on a pedestal so that everybody can come by and stare at them. They are practical. They are meant for us to consume or, in the case of like our baptismal font, to take that water and to remind ourselves of the baptismal vows we took. We were watching this show. I'm not going to tell you the show, but two characters were hanging out together, and they weren't really friends, but they were friends, and one of them was trying to, how to, try to figure out how to not make it awkward, and she noticed that on a mantle, the guy she was hanging out with had some toys. Now, these are full-grown adults, and those toys were collector items, and she thought, well, this is a way I could connect with him, and so she grabs two of these toys, original Star Wars figurines, and she brings them over, and she's like, hey, let's play. That'll be fun. And he goes, oh, because for him, those aren't toys to be played with. They're collectibles to be set on a shelf. We should never be thinking of the sacraments like that. The sacraments are things for us to use. I want to encourage you, one of the things that we do during our Eucharistic prayer is we lift up the host, we lift up the chalice. We're not lifting them up for the same reason that they would be lifted up in a Catholic church. In a Catholic church, the reason they are lifted up because they are the actual body and blood of Christ. And you are gazing upon them. It is part of where this article actually comes from. 
I want to encourage you, when we lift them up, we are being reminded of how special, how important, how significant that we have the sacraments, that Christ would give these to us to connect with him, to be strengthened in our faith, to know his presence. So they are to be used, not just collected. All right, how's everybody doing? I know this is a little different from a traditional sermon. We're giving a lot of information, but I really felt it was important if we're going to talk about the sacraments, we should understand what they are. I want to end by giving you two brief definitions, kind of definitions, followed by just a takeaway from this. We're going to revisit the sacraments because there's more to say. But here's my two brief things. In the Articles of Religion, there's a specific article on baptism and on the Lord's Supper. And it tells us what they are or what they do. I want to just read real briefly. Baptism is not only a sign of profession and mark of difference, already talked about that, whereby Christian men and women are discerned from others that are not Christians, but it is also a sign of regeneration or new birth, whereby as an instrument they receive baptism and are rightly grafted into the church. When we think of baptism... Baptism is the grafting in of people into the church. It is to receive the benefits of being made part of the church. The reason that we invite children in through baptism is not because they can profess, but because as the church and as parents, we can profess for them and we can raise them to know Christ. My wife once said something to me that I don't know if she understood how profound it was to me, but it really was profound. I come out of a non-liturgical background. I mean, I come out of a place where, like, you get saved, that's our language, and at some point you have a day. You have a day where you said, I believe in Jesus. And I remember my wife coming out of a Catholic tradition into this college ministry that we had, and she was asked on occasion, like, hey, you know, when were you saved? When did you come to Christ? All this stuff. And there was a point where she came to the realization she doesn't remember a time where she didn't know Christ. There wasn't a day. There wasn't some particular moment where she finally said, I believe in Jesus, because her parents raised her to know Christ. So she always knew Christ. That is why we baptize our kids. We don't wait for them to say, I finally believe. As their parents and as the church, we say, we're inviting you in fully. We're going to give you everything. And we're, because how many four-year-olds go, yeah, I'm not sure if I believe in Jesus yet. I'm contemplating it. No, what they do is they go, my parents believe in this. This is the reality into which I live. And we raise them in that. So baptism is grafting us in and everything that goes with that, the washing, all of those things. The Lord's Supper. The Supper of the Lord is not only a sign of love that Christians ought to have among themselves. That's part of the reason we come forward and we receive is 
we are showing that we love one another and we're all one body. And it's the reason in Corinthians, when they're not acting as one body, that the Lord is actually causing them to become sick. And some are even dying because they are not participating in the sacrament in a worthy way. But it also, the sacrament, it is the sacrament of our redemption by Christ's death. When you come forward and you receive, you remember Christ gave his life. And not only did he give his life, but he's coming back for us. When he gave this, he said to them at one point, I will not drink again from the vine until I come in my Father's kingdom. It was a reminder that every time we receive, it's a foretaste that he's coming back to fully redeem us. To get rid of all of our sin. To bring us into eternity. Every time we come forward, this is the banquet we look forward to. In so much as it's received with faith. Just remember that. One of the things the church had to struggle with is what happens if a corrupt priest gives communion? Is that communion okay? And the overall answer of the church was, that depends. What's the faith of the person receiving it? So you will hear quite often as we talk about Eucharist, I will talk about receiving this by faith. Because my faith is not what's important when you come forward. It's your faith. Do you believe and trust in Christ? Do you believe that he gave his life for you? Do you believe that he's coming back for you? That's what matters when you come forward. What do we do with all of this? I know today was a lot of information. What do we do with it? I have an encouragement for you. Um, I am going to teach on the sacraments again because I think there's a weekly thing that is part of this and we're setting a foundation for that. But what do we do with this? We never take for granted what Christ has given to us. In our tradition in particular, we do communion every single week. And I want you to be honest with yourself. Please don't raise your hand. Don't give any indication, but I want you to be honest with yourself. Do you ever tune out when we're going through the Eucharistic prayer? Do you ever come forward and not really consciously think about what you're doing? You just kind of receive. How many times have you received communion? Don't take it for granted. Be intentional. Every time you co we come to that moment, remind yourself. Pay attention to the Eucharistic prayer that is said. That prayer is profound. And it reminds us so much of what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all doing. Don't take it for granted. Starting next week, we will have the font open. And there'll be holy water in there. And as you come in, you can gently dip a finger in, make the sign of the cross, and remind yourself of your baptism. Whether you had it as an infant or as an adult, the vow is still the same. Take it seriously.
I want to read this. This comes from Sacred Practices in Everyday Life, Liturgy of the Ordinary. Baptism is the first word of grace spoken over us by the church. In my tradition, Anglicanism, we baptize infants. Before they cognitively understand the story of Christ, before they can affirm a creed, before they can sit up, use the bathroom, or contribute significantly to the work of the church, grace is spoken over them, and they are accepted as part of us. That's what I meant by baptism. They are counted as God's people before they have anything to show for themselves. When my daughters were baptized, we had a big celebration with cupcakes. Together with our community, we sang, Jesus loves me over the newly baptized. It was a proclamation. Before you know it, before you doubt it, before you confess it, before you can sing it yourself, you are beloved by God, not by your effort, but because of what Christ has done on your behalf. We are weak. He is strong. In many liturgical churches, baptismal fonts are situated at the back of the sanctuary. As people walk into the church to worship, they pass by it. This symbolizes how baptism is the entrance into the people of God. It reminds us that before we began to worship, before we even sat down in church, we are marked as people who belong to Jesus by grace alone, swept up into the good news which we received as a gift from God and from believers who went before us. Remember his grace. Remember his love. Remember the gift that he has given each time we come forward to receive. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the sacraments. Thank you that they remind us of your love, of the sacrifice of Jesus, of the coming future we have of eternal life with you, of the work in, your, of, in our lives now that you still continue to do. Lord, let us come forward in faith each time we participate in the sacraments. And Lord, please use them to strengthen us, to confirm our faith, to build us up in Christ. We ask this in his holy name. Amen.